I'm Dr. Gene Hemsler, and you're listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running and most respected money show on radio. For more than 25 years, my associates and I have been providing straightforward, no-nonsense advice for your financial questions. Email us at drgene at hemsler.com. That's D-R-G-E-N-E at H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R dot com. This broadcast of Money Talks originally aired Saturday, June 16th, 2018. Economic health of this nation has been four essential economic freedoms. The excessive decline in the dollar. It's a late rally on Wall Street. Too big to fail. Growing the economy. Growing the economy. Amazing what's been going on with the economy. Welcome. This is Money Talks. Money Talks. Well, good morning. Good morning. You are listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running, most respected money show on radio. I am your host, Nick Antonucci. I'm a research analyst here at Hensler Financial, and I'm joined today by Jared McKenzie. That's right. CFP. Yep. And DJ Barker, also one of, uh, actually one of our managing associates, not just an associate. Mm-hmm. Hello, the big, hello. Do- yeah. the big dog in the house. Glad to be What's back. going on? How are you? As you can tell, this is not your usual Money Talks team. It's the all-star show. <laughs> That's right. As it I is. like to call it. Yeah. If you woke up early enough to catch it, which I know, Nick, you probably will miss this on Saturday morning. Man, right? I'm up early Saturdays. Sure. You, don't, you just really? assume, young, single guy, he's he's out yeah. all crazy hours of the night. I figured Friday nights, man, you'd be you're still in the bed after uh, after all that, but no? No. No. Wrong impression. I don't, I don't know why you get that idea. Days, yeah, the early right. bird, right? The Maximize early bird. it. Good stuff, man. I'm proud of you. Thanks. That that means a lot to me, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, it's been an interesting week in the markets. A lot of central bank activity, which we'll get into here shortly, uh, between uh, the Federal Reserve and the European Central Bank, both of which had meetings this week, came yep. out with some decisions. Um, but if you look at markets, we're up uh, 0.39% through Thursday afternoon on the S&P 500. Not a bad week. It's higher. Yep. Can't complain. Right. Uh, if you look at the year-to-date numbers, the S&P 500 is up almost 5%. You consider kind of where we fell, that 10% correction earlier in the year. I mm-hmm. believe it started on January 26th. We've really come a long way yeah. back into positive territory. Uh, top sector so far this year, no surprise here. Information technology leading the way at 152 Shocking. I know, right? 14.08% consumer discretionary. Yeah, close so, second, right? Exactly, yeah. And, and it's really up. where the growth coming from, which is something I, I believe was talked about last week on the show, is growth versus value. And there's been a significant mm-hmm. outperformance by growth year-to-date. Mm-hmm. I think it's 10% that it's outperformed value stocks. And it's you don't have to look far to see this. You look at the S&P 500 compared to the Dow uh, and the NASDAQ, and – the NASDAQ is your, your tech-heavy, your growthy names, right? Yep. It's up 12.89% year-to-date compared to – who wants to guess what the Dow is up, which is considered more of a value index? Throw some, four, throw some guesses. Five, four, four five, uh, Three. You're almost nailed it. 2.92%. Wow. So, like I said, you don't have to look far. And Should have went $1. God. <laughs> Yeah, you missed the opportunity there. <laughs> but, yeah, you don't have to look far to see kind of uh, the disparity there between growth and value year-to-date. Yeah. And it's going to come to an end. This can't persist forever, yeah. right? As long as we get some sort of – as soon as we get some sort of slowdown, those growth expectations come into doubt, those stocks are going to fall a lot harder. Yeah, because yeah, they're, they're heavily overpriced, I would say, right now. I mean, you know, when we look at the relative P.E., uh, 
you know, the, the valuation list that, that you guys look at. I mean, right. there's almost everything there is trading at a premium, right? And then, significant, you know, significant. And, 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 you know, when we get in some listener questions later, it's not even tech stocks, but the growthy names in general, which you always expect to pay a premium for, right? You, right. You're getting greater growth. You're going to mm-hmm. pay up for that. Right. Mm-hmm. It's going to come at a higher valuation. But some of them just – it gets to a point where you say – I don't think I can justify paying that price for it. Yeah. And a lot of names at, at this point, you're buying at all-time highs. And as I said, some of these listener questions of should I buy, hold, sell this stock, it's hard for me to justify telling anyone to buy a stock at an all-time high <laughs> unless there's a, a, a massive catalyst that, mm-hmm. that makes you believe that that growth is 100% going to happen. Right. Well, especially not when, you know, in contrast, which is somewhat surprising given the recent volatility that – there's so many things at a discount right now in right. consumer staples. Consumer I mean, staples, perfect sector. Yeah. And as we mentioned, that growth's not going to outperform forever. So when the market does finally turn, and it's healthy, you know, corrections happen. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a 5%, 10% correction, that's healthy. Yeah. And these are the type of sectors that are going to hold up better during those times. I mean, consumer staples right. just look cheap right now. Well, yeah. for, and for, so for those people that have, have participated in the growth of these others, you know, IT and, and consumer discretionary and whatnot, you know, now is a great time to maybe trim some of that back. Keep yeah, it's rebalance your portfolio. Right, and, and take advantage of some of these discounts. Um, I'm having those conversations right now with some, some, some clients, and they see that IT sector. They don't want to sell the IT, <laughs> yeah. and they sure don't want to go into the staples. They're worried that we're not, we haven't seen the bottom of the consumer staples. They think it's still going to fall. They can't just can't connect the you know the rebalance, mm-hmm, sure. and that's a tough conversation that we're having right now. You're just taking having. some risk yeah. off it's, the table. We're not right. you're not selling you're not out selling. of the sector. You're just trimming back yeah. and then, yes, yeah. buying into a value. Uh, it's, it's hard. It's hard to do that mentally. That emotional you know mm-hmm. trading concept is sometimes hard, but but it's important to do. Exactly. It, it really is. Well, guys, let's dive into a little bit of a recap of the economic indicators we've gotten over the last week. There's, there's certainly been plenty of them. Uh, starting last Friday, we got the latest trade data. The inventory bill was slower. Uh, in April, wholesale stockpiles rose 0.1% um, above Moody Analytics' ex- expectations. Um, nothing really huge here about the, the trade data. This is one of those data points I feel you can look at at a number of different ways. If you saw an inventory build, you can argue that sales were slower, so they didn't you know, go through their inventory as quickly as expected, or they're anticipating greater demand in the future, so they're building inventory. Uh, so you've you got to kind of look at a bigger picture around that one data point. Sure. Um, but then on to Tuesday, uh, we got some inflation data this week. First piece was the consumer price index, which was released on Tuesday. Um, the headline number came in at 0.2%, uh, which was the same it was in April. Food prices were unchanged, but energy prices were up 0.9%. Um, not a big shock there. If you look at oil, oil's up about 10% on the year. So a lot of that inflation you're seeing in the headline number is driven by energy. So if you take that out, you look at the core number, which is excluding food and energy. CPI was up uh, 0.2% as well, it looks like. And if you look on a year-ago basis, um, increased 2.7% headline, 2.2% uh, core. So in line, roughly with the Fed's 2% target, this isn't the measure that the Fed uses, uh, but it's usually a pretty good indication of uh, of what the Fed is seeing for inflation. So no big surprise there. The next day we got the producer side of things. Uh, a lot of times you'll see the producer start to see inflation quicker, and then it ends up coming onto the the consumer. Yeah. So typically the PPI is a good indication of future consumer price uh, index increases to come. It also uh, rose more than expected in May. So it just kind of cements the fact that inflation pressures – are starting to build, and that you know that plays into the Fed's mm-hmm. decision making. Yeah. So, yeah. look back to Wednesday, yesterday, we had the Fed come out, hike rates, 
It was expected. It was a quarter percent increase, 25 right. basis points. Mm-hmm. The new target range is 1.75% to 2%. So nothing incredibly shocking there, but I think what the market saw was a more hawkish tone. The Fed came out and said, hey, growth expectations look really good. Um, we're probably going to see that fourth rate hike this year, so September and December, where the fourth one for a while there was in question. You know, mm-hmm. um, Is the inflationary data, is the growth data going to be there uh, to – warrant a fourth hike. And it seems that, uh, at least if you look at options implied probability of that fourth uh, increase, it's, I think, into the around 64% now, whereas prior to the meeting is well below uh, 50, somewhere, I think, low 40s. So the market reacted to that. All in all, it's kind of taken it in stride. You saw Treasury yields shoot up in the short term. You saw the 30-year get, or the 10-year get back above 3%. But that's since come back down. And, and I think that's for a number of reasons. I think it takes some time for Following uh, the announcement for the market to price these things in, furthermore, today you had the European Central Bank come out, and Mario Draghi basically said, we're laying forward a path to NQE, Mm -hmm. and um, I think that's going to come the end of this year, and then they've said they're not going to start raising rates until at the absolute earliest, the summer of 2019. And that's interesting because Europe's in a spot right now where you saw a week ago, two weeks ago, uh, volatility spike up because there's concerns about Italy once again. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, elections in Italy. Is Italy going to leave the eurozone? What does that mean for the European economy? Right. You also have the same kind of worries and, and lingering debt crisis in Greece. So there's a lot of unknown variables I think you, that could continue to flare up and, and cause some volatility in Europe. So as a result, you saw people kind of get out of European bonds and pile back into U.S. Treasuries, and what it did is it drove those long-term yields. People buying at the ten-year drove them lower. Sure. So, you know, everyone piling in there drives up the price. As a result, the yield comes down. Yeah, so a lot of these actions this week sounds like, looks like, based on, you know, what we've seen, I think it's been pretty stagnant this week, as it seems to have been over the past week with just up 39 basis points. I mean, uh, you know, it, it, it seems like the market has already priced a lot of this in. I mean, would, would you agree that given that there wasn't a huge response in terms of sometimes when you see the feds make a change or increase rates that maybe aren't expected or, or uh, when you've got these different bodies making decisions, it can be very effective on the markets. But this week it hasn't seemed so. And I'm thinking, you know, mostly because they're moving in line with what expectations mm-hmm. have been. So everything that's happened seems to be right in line with what we would expect. And Yeah, absolutely. And I think kind of what it highlights um, is, is that, you know, things do appear pretty strong here domestically. Valuations do look stretched, but at the same time, the economic fundamentals are solid. Yeah, very so much so. So I think that's going to continue to propel the U.S. economy in the next few quarters to come. Obviously, it's not going to go on forever. Um, but, to, but to me, it makes me think of the, the importance of diversification. As you can see right now, all economies don't turn the same mm-hmm. way. You know, you have concerns in Europe right now where everything domestically here looks pretty strong. Mm-hmm. So if you have if you're, you know, a European investor and you've gone all in on European markets, well why would you not diversify your risk? Mm-hmm. Buy some US exposure and it's, it would mitigate some of the volatility that you've seen in there, uh, which is, you know, if if you're if you invest with us, you know, we diversify internationally. Mm-hmm. Um and obviously times like this is is where you start to see um that value. Right. But, uh, guys, this is probably a good point to take a break um, and come back, and we'll dig into a, a scenario with some real-life clients. You listen to Money Talks. It's time for the... 
Dog of the Week. All right, guys. It's Troy's favorite part of the segment. He's yep. not here with us, but I'm going to you know, try, miss try and pick up where he left off. Oh, <laughs> we'll do, do we? Oh. <laughs> Is he on your way? Yeah. You know, if you... Uh, if you guys are tired of hearing Troy and you want to hear us again, free, feel free to call, tweet, <laughs> yeah. Facebook, you know. That's right. Ask, Let them know. Let them know the dream team. That's right. right. We'll be here for you. <laughs> All right, guys. So the dog of the week. We also do bar mitzvahs, birthday parties. <laughs> yeah. Re- great rates. Reasonable rates. The dog of the week is a raccoon of the week this week. Um, okay. And, and I'm shocked that you guys didn't hear this story. I asked them at the break if they even watched the news because in a week where you had so much going on, the meeting between – Trump and Kim, this thing this. seemed to get as much attention. In in Minneapolis, Minnesota, a raccoon scaled like a 25-story building, and it was like the Internet craze, the Twitter sensation. As they – someone created an account for the raccoon. As it continued to go <laughs> up the building, it would stop. It started you know, fairly low. They tried to get it off the building, and the thing just kept climbing higher. They have a video of it like stopping on the 20th floor to take a nap in a window, and everyone just became – enthralled in, in the success of this raccoon to hopefully not fall and make it to the top of the building, which he did, and they had some traps set with some calf food at the top. But this raccoon won the Internet over Donald Trump and, and Kim. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. It is. Wow. And Jail hey, time. you know what? It's, it's a lighthearted story when it seems like every other day now it's And here I thought you were watching the markets. Man, oh my. I, I watch raccoon, raccoon videos all day. <laughs> all week. Cat videos are last year. So you're telling me you've been winging all these research questions I've been sending down. Wait. There, there may be some hidden themes. You've been sending questions? <laughs> Uh-oh. Check the inbox. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, I don't even, I don't still... even look at my emails anymore. <laughs> okay. Well, guys, before we dive into this client situation, um, feel free to uh, call or, or write in your email in your questions. You can uh, reach us at... One eight five five four two nine nine one six six. You can email us at drgene at hensler dot com. That's h e n s s l e r dot com. And if you uh, need your own personal financial help, feel free to give us a call at seven seven zero four two nine nine one six six. We'll get you on the phone with either Jared or DJ to uh, help you along your journey. Yeah. But uh, guys, the the topic for today, uh, we have a, a client, Joel, just accepted a position at a new company. And he is enrolling in his benefits. When he was in his 20s, young and healthy, he was on his parents' plan. Then he had a government job, and now his circumstances are much different. He's married, he's got a child, and he works for a private employer. So his employer offers three different group plans, each with a a different set of benefits, deductibles, and costs. And he also has a choice between a health reimbursement account, flex spending accounts, and a healthcare spending account. So really the idea here is... Walk us through making these decisions, and, and when it comes to these savings plans, are they beneficial? Which one's the best one? Yeah. Well, Lord knows there's not a shortage of <laughs> options. Loaded question. Sure. Days. Yeah. Yeah, good thing we've got plenty of time here because uh, this can this can certainly go in many different ways. But, you know, as far as, as this particular scenario goes, you know, I, I would certainly say that it – a lot of it is circumstantial, right? I mean, you know, we just had a benefit change here at Hensler, and, you know, for some people it worked out really well, for some not so much, and, and for some it's just a matter of adjusting. And, you know, really once you figure out the nuances of these plans and, and how they might work best for you, that's really what, what you know, is, is going to give you the edge, I would say, because they, they all have their pros and cons. Right, right? there's I mean, not an across-the-board answer to say this is the ideal plan. Right. Exactly, exactly. But, I mean, I think we, you know, everyone generally can expect to have some degree of medical costs 
throughout the year. And, and again, that's going to vary from person to person, family to family. But, you know, if you were to look back, you know, what I tend to do is, is try to get an average of what we spend during a normal year and figure out, okay, here, here's what, you know, I need to set aside, whether it be in a, a flex spending account or, or a, a healthcare savings account, you know, HSAs, FSAs, or, or whatever the case may be. And because in doing that, you get tax deferred money into an account that can then, uh, at least in the, in the case of, uh, HSAs has an opportunity to grow. You can right. invest those dollars after you've got the cash over a, a minimum amount. And then, uh, you know, if they're used, if this, if those dollars are then used for qualified healthcare expenses, they can then be pulled out tax free. So there's a, a triple tax benefit here, which, uh, can be really meaningful for people that would otherwise be spending those same dollars after tax right. and really not having the opportunity to leverage them to some degree. And you know what? At least in the case of HSAs, again, if you don't use them, then they get to remain in the account year after year, continue to grow, and can be used for retirement even. Right. It's not the same as a flexible spending account where you come. most people come to the end of the year and they look in their account and they say, oh, I have $600 yeah. still that I haven't spent. Yeah. And they're at, at that point, they're trying to find what's qualified. Let right. me go. Exactly. Load up on as many uh, as many items as I can, just because I don't want to lose the money. Right. Yeah, and, and it depends on the type of plan that you that you're looking for. So if you have a high deductible plan, you can use the health savings. If you have an HMO or a PPO, that's where the HSA comes into play. So you can't necessarily use, you know, depending on the, the plan. FSA comes yeah, in there, right. yeah, you can't, you know, exactly. you got to make sure you're researching what type of plan you're going to be moving into. If mm-hmm. it's a regular HMO account, you're not going to be able to save as much in some of these other plans. So. Uh, you know, definitely research what yeah. exactly you're you're putting yourself. Yeah, into. and keep in mind if you do have the ability to save to an HSA, healthcare costs are not going down. No, right, and that's for sure. They're only going up, and and significantly. I think uh, forecast for 2019. I believe this was a national number, but a six percent increase just in 2019. Mm-hmm. And those rates won't come out until I think next month. I think most states will post uh, rates uh, to. Uh, Midway through the year, yeah. July. Well, when you see three of the most well-renowned businessmen and richest people in the world get together because they think something is such a problem, and, and talking about Jeff Bezos of Amazon, Warren Buffett, and, and Jamie Dimon. Exactly. I mean, it, they. It's very clear that this is a problem, and so you know, the, the good side, the bright side of this is, I think, at least if in regards to the HSA. Again, as DJ said, if you've got a high deductible plan and have access to one of these, uh, then. It can be a huge benefit for you because not not the costs have gotten so high that you know you need to be doing what is optimal, you know, and and that's what I actually like. Even even though our deductibles went up this time, I think that it was actually a good thing now because that gave us now access to this HSA. It really has given us this added benefit that we didn't necessarily have before because of the circumstance, like you were saying. You know, it, it is very circumstantial as, you know, in regards to what is available to you and what is offered through your employer. And so if you have this and, and healthcare costs are becoming, uh, as outrageous as they are, you, you really need tools like this, uh, to help you throughout the way. Cause, it, you know, most people, and it's the reason there is so much medical debt in this country, can't afford just the medical costs that they incur out of pocket from year to year. Right. So yeah. having having this this tool, this resource that allows you to get a tax deferral, tax you know, tax free growth potentially, and then you know a, a tax free distribution, and and not only that, but you know again having the growth to help you leverage that money, that's huge. So if you if you have the opportunity, I would say the HSAs are definite. Uh, 
benefits. Yeah, and if you, if you think about saving to an HSA, as you mentioned, you can save and you have the power of compounding. Just like when, when we recommend you, you invest in equities for money you don't need uh, in the next 10 years, mm-hmm. if you consider this account like that, uh, with, with the cost of health care increasing at 6% annually, you need to earn a return that's yeah. in, in excess of that just to keep up with the rising cost of health care. So, right. um, you know, we typically say it, equity returns over rolling 10-year periods, a 10% mm-hmm. return on large cap over the long term, right, yes. historically right. speaking. Where the market is right now, who knows if that's the case 10 years out from now, but if you're looking beyond that, mm-hmm. someone who's who's younger in life and is saving towards those probably more costly type medical procedures that are ha- happen later in life, yeah. you have a, a good chance to kind of outpace uh, that healthcare inflation. Right. Well, it's certainly, yeah. I would say on average, easily outpacing wages. You know, I mean, most people, I would say, probably aren't getting on average a 6% or greater wage, wage increase, increase year yeah. to year. Especially but, not now. Right. Yeah. And so that's if that's what you're seeing, you're absolutely right. I mean, you need a way uh, to do that. And, and, you know, maybe you do, maybe you don't in terms of having access to uh, these accounts. But there's, there's a number of different ways you can go about saving for uh, you know, healthcare benefits and, and trying to pay for these healthcare costs. And if, if you'd like any more information or want to kind of get into a deeper conversation with us about that, we'd be happy to explore that more with you. But this is such a broad topic. And very personal. Yeah. You know, yeah, it is. For sure. Age, your health, there's mm-hmm. a lot that goes into this type of decision. Yeah, because you're right. I mean, the health is a big thing, right? I mean, if you're no... healthy and young, sure, right. we're going to tell you high deductible, do the mm-hmm. HSA. If you're, you know, not yeah. as healthy. Maybe you want to spend a little bit more on premiums on a monthly basis to get into you know, an HMO right. or a PPO. You know, those are the things, and it really takes a a, di- a deep dive into that. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe contact us and let's have a, a, a you know a, a true conversation about your current yeah. situation. Well, you know, it's, I was I was actually having this conversation the other day with someone, and and they were unaware even that. You can access an HSA even if your employer doesn't offer a plan with a high deductible because you, there are, your employer is not the only one that can offer it. There, right, there are right. HSA companies. Like you got banks off. Yeah, there, there's other options. So you know, again, I think the the, the really the main point here is the same is true with FSAs, flexible spending accounts, or is it just HSAs? Uh, to my knowledge. Just the HSAs, okay. but I'm, I'm I'm not 100% sure on that. But I, I know for a fact the HSAs they they are more accessible than just through your employer and whether or not they may have it. So you know, explore your options, look through and see. Okay, again, what is going to work best for me? Because even within the plans that say don't offer an HSA, there are generally going to be a number of different ways or directions that you can go in, and it really will vary from year to year. I don't even in years where we as a company have kept the same health insurance plan, mm-hmm. I I move within it. You know, it's not the same year to year. It's something yeah. you really have to sure. assess. Situations change throughout the year. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you're having kids every single year almost. So. <laughs> yeah, so I got to so reassess. Gotta, you yeah, gotta reassess. Yeah, exactly, Jared. <laughs> All right, guys, that's a great conversation. Um, I think we'll take a break here, and we'll come back, and we'll listen, uh, answer some listener questions. If you're listening to Money Talks. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Talks. I am Nick Antonucci, joined today by Jared McKenzie and DJ Barker. Got it. Guys, Hello. hopefully uh, a good time. Good stuff. 
Hopefully, dream team. I was going to say you're enjoying being on here, so we can come back again. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And we, yeah, we oh, play they, way better intro and outro music than the other guys. Yes, absolutely. So at least there's that, right? Well, yeah. Except for that last one, I'm not real sure what that was. I was beat it. How do you not Must know that in the some, first three? Some city music or something. City. Paulding County right here. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to respond to that, Jared. Inside oh. the, yeah, this is great. Yeah. I apologize so, for Jared. ITP inside <laughs> hey, the perimeter for all you non-Atlantans. Is there any country on here, Jared? We'll try and find something for you for the outro. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's plenty. I'm not sure <laughs> Well, guys, before we dive into some listener questions, um, feel free to call us, email us your questions throughout the week. We'll be happy to answer them on the air. Uh, question hotline, you can reach us at 1-855-429-9166. Or, again, you can email us at drgenehensler.com. You can find us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. We're all over the place. We're everywhere. I think we're just missing Instagram. Are we on Instagram? No. no we're missing Instagram. No. That's the hot one. I think we should pivot. Nobody gets on Facebook, right? Pivot. <laughs> anyway, guys, all right, let's uh, take the first listener question. Ashton from Forsyth, uh, she wrote in, I saw that Athena Health CEO is stepping down immediately. The company is open to a buyout, but also fighting off a takeover from activist firm Elliott Management. What does this mean for investors? So my opinion on what this means for investors is, first off, you're right, uh, Jonathan Bush, CEO, founder of the company, left uh, due to some questionable behavior um, in his personal life that's, that's come to light. Um, it's a company that is not at all new to seeing CEO or management turnover. They're, they've had five CFOs in four years. Um, and a lot of people speculate that that's been the driving force behind some of the hiccups the company's been facing over the last year. The stock hadn't done a whole lot until Elliott Management came out and basically said, hey, we're offering you $160 a share. We want to take you private. Uh, the stock shut up about, about 25%. Things trading right around 157. The deal price was 160. But um, I think with Jonathan Bush out now, is, is what this means is it opens it up to other offers. And I think there's bigger companies out there that are willing to pay more than $160 a share. Um, I was reading an analyst report today, and they consider Athena not so much a healthcare company as as they do a software company. <laughs> think electronic records management, yeah. um, anything. Uh, you know, tech-related within a hospital, a doctor's office, communicating with one another, whether that's getting, you know, vital signs and, and, and putting that into the database. Um, Athena's an impressive company, and, and I think for a while it was incredibly well-run, um, but it's time for some change. Uh, names I heard thrown out there is maybe this is a target for Microsoft or, or a Salesforce or someone who's looking to push further into the medical world. Um, as we talked about, you know, medical costs are increasing. Right. Um, I don't think there's going to be any decrease in demand for these types of systems. Um, so as, as a shareholder, I think right now you continue to hold. I think there's a lot of opportunity for a higher bid to come in. I've seen you know upwards of 170 to 175 is what some expectations are. So right now I think you hold tight. I think the odds of, of Elliott Management in the worst-case scenario, um, I think they buy the company because shareholders are a little bit frustrated and not seeing that value increase over such a long period of time that at this point they're like, if this is what it takes – We'll take 160 a share. I do think there's more value to be had. So if you are a holder right now, I'd say continue to hold. I would agree. I mean, yeah. with, with an activist like that involved, if it were the CEOs leaving and, and there's not this Elliott management piece, I feel a lot differently about it. But given that, you know, you, you got them stepping down, and, and, again, it was a personal thing with him. But, right. you know, now that we've got, we've got an activist firm like Elliott Management involved, there's clearly something attractive there. So, yeah. you know, and, yeah, and, they, and they already value. maintain a 9% stake in the company. And, and right. 
Right. So, you know, I, I agree with you. Hold, see what happens. You need some more information, more certainty around it, and, you know, make the decision from there. All right. Um, next, we have Ann from Powder Springs. She asked, can I have too much insurance? I was told by an advisor I should have 10 different policies and provided me the list. I wanted to get your opinion. What do you think, guys? 10, ten insurance ten? policies? Well, well, first of all, I would say, <laughs> yes, you can be overinsured. I mean, in some, in some cases, that's hard. I mean, there's so many different lines. You know, in some of those lines, in some of those cases, it would be very hard to be overinsured. But in others, it can be very easy. Uh, and, you know, just that's kind of general. I know she, she's uh, asking about her individual uh, or, or specific position here. But Ten policies. I think I mean, your advisor is getting overpaid if he's selling you all these policies. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, the agents do earn a commission on that, and so there there could be a small conflict of interest there. But, you know, if, if that is across the board, I mean, if we're talking homeowners, auto, life, long-term care, disability. That's true. When you think of it you from, know, from that aspect, there, there are a lot of – Yeah, and, and look – if, if that's the case and you can bundle all this with one person, you probably get some really nice discounts for doing so. But that's not to say that that's still not excessive or uh, overinsured. I mean, I think you can certainly be overinsured. You want to keep a balance, right? You don't you don't want to be worth more dead than alive. Yeah, right. That's Isn't a that, problem. Exactly. That could be a problem. <laughs> you know. So you ever watch Dateline? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. You got you, there's a balance, and you need to achieve that. And and look. Just like uh, some of the other topics we've talked about on the show today, I mean, there's no special number. You know, I don't right. think that's going to apply to everybody. Bullet, for sure. Right, right. You got to assess the circumstances and say, okay, and it's going to depend on the person's assets and their income, and depending on the line you're looking at, there's a, a lot of different things to consider. So, uh, you know, can you have too much insurance? Yes. Is the ten policies too much? I don't know. Potentially. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, right. maybe not. You know, again, very personal. Exactly. So uh, I know that's a, <laughs> a general answer. It's but, another one of those depends. Man, right. I mean, look, the, the insurance, speaking generally, not about any particular line, is very, very circumstantial depending on the person, their family, their assets, their income, all of that stuff. Yeah. So uh, you really have to take a deep dive, and, and is why the insurance uh, agents and, and folks make so much money doing that yeah. because there's a lot to consider. So. All right. Uh, this next question is one I find very interesting because over the past few years, it's something I've kind of kept a, a watchful eye on is lending standards have you know gotten tight and then they seem to have gotten lax again. Um, but Peter and Carrie ask, can we still buy a home with no money down? And if you think back to the housing bubble, yeah, that was all too common. Yeah, right. You'd Part see. of what got us into the situation, not not the main culprit, easy but, money, yeah, easy money, easy money, and. Um, while there are still circumstances in which you, you can get a home with no money down, it seems as though um, it's it's a lot more difficult to come across. Typically, it it's is. targeted towards veterans. Um, there are a few programs for, for veterans. Uh, VA guarantees private loans with no down payment for qualified veterans, active duty service members, and certain members of the National Guard and Reserves. Now, they are no money down, but you also have to understand that you're going to pay a fee, which can be lumped in the mortgage. So yep. yeah. truly no money down because everything gets lumped in. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fees usually are going to range from one and a quarter percent to 3.3%, which depending on how big of a house you're buying, that 3.3% right. can be a significant addition added to that. And not to mention you're financing 100% of Right, the value that of that home. Well, see, that's, that's that's where the trouble came in when the crisis came right. along because it, it wasn't necessarily 
Right. I mean, it's it was a it was a function of borrowing too much. It wasn't necessarily not putting something down up front, but in doing so, you're now borrowing more than you probably should or probably could afford. And that's where the real problem comes in because, you know, it, the question is, can you still buy a home with no money down? Well, yes, maybe you can. That doesn't mean you should. Right. right. You know, there, this again is something where you've really got to assess whether or not it makes sense for you and your situation. And, you know, quite frankly, there's a lot of different things that you can come. I, I actually learned recently when a couple of years ago, actually, when uh, my wife and I sold our house, you know, we we actually got an offer for the house we were selling that was uh, about twenty thousand dollars less than what a buyer had offered us. It, it, excuse me. It appraised for right. twenty thousand less than what they offered. Well, that twenty thousand actually put us just below the 20 percent we were wanting to put down on the new house we were right. buying, mm-hmm. which really was frustrating to me because I didn't want to carry the PMI. But as it turned out, and again, I, I learned this, I'm, <laughs> we, we do this kind of thing for a living, and I had never come across this, but it turned out to be really beneficial because using my, my mortgage broker at the time advised me to use that additional percentage. You know, she said 10% down instead of 20. Use the additional because you, you're not going to save that much on your monthly payment by putting 19% down right. versus, you know, say 10%. Right, you're still going to have PMI. Right. Yeah, was, you know, I think the, the difference in the mortgage payment was $108 a month or something. And so we then took the 9%, put it into the house, made improvements so that we could enjoy those benefits while we were there. It increased the value, did a reappraisal, and because of those improvements to the property, now it was worth more, which actually allowed for us to uh, get rid of the PMI pretty quickly because now we did owe less than 80%, which sure. was that magic number. So you, you think, you know, is it all, do you want to put down as much as you can? Sometimes, and you certainly maybe, don't want to do that if it's not. going to put nothing, if you're going to have nothing in the bank after that in case of an emergency. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. if it's cleaning you out and if it's lifestyle. If it's a necessity, job move, you know, a situation where you have to have housing, okay. Mm-hmm. But is it, you're upgrading your home as yeah. a lifestyle to have a little bit bigger or nicer home, you know, right. those are the things you have to consider. You know, you don't want to hurt yourself long term to to get into a nicer, yeah. you know, nicer home. So, well, and look, the reason I even brought that up is because I think going back to what we said a minute ago, it's very circumstantial, right? Do you always want to put down as much as you can? Well, not necessarily. Do you always want to try and borrow as much as you can and put nothing down? Well, not necessarily. I mean, there are reasons to go either way, and you really got to look at this, the situation and say, what's best for me and my family? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's more to talk about on this topic. So I think we'll take a quick break here, come back. We'll continue on this and answer a few more questions. Don't touch that dial. Welcome back. You listen to Money Talks. Garrett, you don't like that song? I, pl- I played Big and Rich for you on the outro. I know, and I was loving it. I was really pumped coming back into this segment. And then oh, my fault. Madonna, what was that, 1986 or something right there? I that don't was Phil Collins. Madonna. Bringing back Miami Vice what are you up doing, here. man? <laughs> hey, Do you, even listen you to only music? know that because you got the, the, the screen Sound in front of you. All right, don't Studio, act like you listen to Phil Collins. On the regular. Everybody. Actually, I was did listening see him coming in the parking Phil lot Collins. the other day listening to something like that. Well, he's driving a Testarossa, so yeah. he should be. <laughs> sure. A Mazda Testarossa. <laughs> it's the newest model. Oh, that's good stuff. 
Well, guys, we, we left off on the topic of can you still buy a home with no money down? And, and as we said, typically that's only an option available if you're going through some special program like uh, a VA yeah. loan, something like that. But even if you're getting an FHA loan or a conventional loan, you can put as little as 3 3 3.5% down still. Yeah. So it doesn't require a lot, which kind of spurred the discussion off the air of you hear the argument that millennials can't afford the down payment on, on a home and, you know, they're burdened with student debt. And I get that. Yeah. I understand that. Um, but if you're talking, if you just look, you know, I think the national average home price is probably, let's say, close to $300,000. Let's just make up that number, right? Yeah. And you don't have to put 3% down. Now, there's co- closing costs and all, but most of that gets lumped in with the loan, right? Mm-hmm. You can do it that way. Yeah. Um, that's nine thousand dollars. Yeah, doesn't seem like a, a terribly. And again, everyone's situation is different. You know, a lot of people have debt they need to pay off, and absolutely, you should pay that off before you go get yourself further into debt. Um, but it, to me, it's just like, are there that many people that are in the situation where they can't get the three percent? I mean, evidently so. Um, yeah. But think- at the same time, housing demand right now is through the roof. Yeah. I mean, they can't build them fast enough. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, especially here in Atlanta. I mean, I think you're, that's, you know, if you're if you're coming to the table with three percent, you know, and it's a bidding war, you're going to be knocked out pretty that's quick. True. Obviously, that's so, true. Yeah. So how you know, often if do you, you don't, really... you got to have stellar credit yeah. if you're only going to put three percent down because they're going to they're going to make sure they're looking at everything you've done for the right. last. Your rate is going to be very very yeah. much. Uh, in, reflection, in a reflection of that. Of anything you can put down is a, definitely a benefit. But yeah, I mean, for you know, a few thousand dollars, you, you can. Well, Really get into a home, right? And whether you go FHA or conventional, if you're not putting twenty percent down, you're gonna you're gonna own you're gonna have to pay some sort of mortgage, mortgage insurance, insurance. Um, which I think they typically estimate like fifty five to sixty five dollars per one hundred thousand dollars borrowed. Um, now with a conventional, once you hit eighty percent equity, I'm sorry, twenty percent equity rather, um, you can drop that PMI. Mm-hmm. That is not the case for the FHA loan. So you're going to continue to pay it, which can be costly over yeah. a 30-year term. Absolutely. It's really dependent on how long you plan on living in that home. Another thing to consider is FHA, their credit centers are, are far more lax. So if you're one of those people who got yourself into some hot water during the recession, uh, maybe you lost the home, um, you're past that period now more than likely. Now it's 2018, that seven-year period where that starts to fall off your credit. And maybe maybe you are ready to you know, enter home ownership again. So that may be a, a good option for you. Um, but to, to simply answer the, the can I still buy a, a home with no money down, in certain cases, yes. Yeah, and I, I do want to touch base on pre-qualifying. So when you go to the bank and you, you, you start talking to lenders about what can I afford, they're going to tell you you can afford $300,000. And <laughs> just because they say that you can afford a $300,000 home doesn't necessarily mean you should purchase a $300,000. Exactly. You know, you need to be looking at, you know, all of the liabilities that you have outstanding and, and get yourself in a comfortable situation, especially only putting 3% down on a home. Right. And they're not looking at what expenses you might have exactly. in the future. They don't know that. All they want to see is, mm-hmm. hey, let me see your balance sheet right now and your and your credit history. It's not forward looking yeah. in the sense that they can predict what that, oh, I yeah. have a child who's sick or I have uh, health health cost. Right, HSAs, your own health costs. You know. 
sending uh, a kid to school or something well, like look, that. when you go from renting there's a lot being done for you that you don't realize you know yeah. it's just not it's not just the mortgage payment you're picking up when you buy a house and that, now you got grass to cut and you know they're they're air conditioning hot water oh heaters, yeah definitely all. something's going to go out yeah, yeah exactly and and but, you know yeah they're not going to they're not going to include that in any kind of pre-qualification because yeah. they're, they're trying to get you into what they can they obviously have incentive to get you to borrow as much as as you can afford based on what the lending standards are so don't get yourself into trouble i would knock that whatever that pre-qualification is which is a great point dj i'd probably knock it down 20 percent at, at least. least and the you know n- you know not to knock real estate agents but again that's commission based as well so when they're going to ask you what you get qualified for exactly they're going to go for that higher number exactly so go go much lower and work your way up to that that Highest number. That's right. Good advice, guys. Um, this next question, I'm, I'm interested to, to hear your take on it as you both have kids, see if, if how much time you've spent here. Um, Adrian from Sandy Springs asked, I've been a fan of Dollar General for many years, but I've been watching Five Below for a while now. Is it too late to jump in? And obviously it's a kid-friendly place. They've got oh, yeah. everything's a dollar to $5. It's toys galore. Um, and the stock has been hot, man. It's up like fifty five percent year today. Year to and not, date, not 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 to brag, but like we bought it forty percent ago. Just saying. Really? Yeah, we own no this brag. in our no, we, don't we brag. own this in our small mid cap. The funny thing is, we've only owned it for slightly over a month, about a month and a half. It's up forty percent. So the stock has been on an absolute tear. Um, you know that what? doesn't necessarily mean it's going to continue. Why don't you go ahead and take tomorrow off? That's that's uh, well, impressive. You guys yeah. enjoy the rest of the show. <laughs> No, that's but, great. I didn't know that. I, yeah, I the no earnings growth that. has been tremendous. Um, it's it's a newer company. It's only been public for about six years. They don't have near the footprint that a, a Dollar General uh, has or a Big Lots, which is all kind of in the same world there. Um, but, I, but I'm concerned with valuation. You know, it, if you were talking a month and a half, two months ago, I'd say, yeah, okay, it's worth an investment. Things at all-time highs now. Yeah. I have trouble recommending – Anything that's at an all-time high most of the time. Well, is, there, is there anything defensive about this, though? I mean, generally, when you, you're talking the Walmarts and the low-cost leaders, when we when we see a downturn, they, they do well. And the Dollar Generals, the problem in, in now's times, it does great. But it's more discretionary items. It's not like the dollar store where you sure. go buy your household goods. Yeah. You can buy cheap soap. You can yeah. buy cookingware, things like that, right? And some of the, their marketplace is not the same locations. It's you not, go it's, out. They rely heavily on on big brand uh, anchor stores, um, and what's the future of that? If yeah. that's where you rely on to attract your customers in, and we all know big box retailers are struggling, is that a story that continues? So I I, I would say if you hold if you own the stock, I'd continue to hold it, but I don't think this is where you get in it. In, in yeah. fact, if you're trying to take a more defensive approach, like I said, a Dollar Tree is probably or Dollar General is probably better suited because they are more staple like items in there. Yeah. yeah, and after a 55% increase year to date, it's probably it's hard pretty to, expensive. Yeah, hard I think it's say. around 50 times earnings. Wow. Yeah. And then you look at a company like Big Lots. I was catching flack downstairs from people who are like, oh, it's a completely different animal, which I agree with, but it trades at like nine times earnings and is growing almost as fast. <laughs> to me, that's attractive. Nine right. times single-digit multiple yeah. on earnings? It's hard to find in this market. Yeah. I mean, may, is, may, is, maybe it's is that for good in, reason. Is that in the portfolio as well? Big Lots is in the small mid-cap portfolio as well, so we've got both of them. Wait, no, your portfolio is here. Wait a second. Is it at nine times earnings because of how poorly it's done lately? Um, it, it, it pulled back, but it's not. No, I don't think it's it's gotten killed here today. Jeez. 
I, all right, I won't. No. I won't take tomorrow huh. off then. Relax. You're gonna actually need to be here on Saturday <laughs> yeah, and Sunday. <laughs> well, that's good stuff. All right, guys. Uh, I think we got time for one more quick question. Arnold from Woodstock asks, "What is the most tax-efficient way to take a distribution from a retirement plan?" This is all you guys. Unfortunately, that is give it to charity because then it is tax. Give it away. Tax-free distribution if you give to a 501c3. <laughs> Otherwise, I mean, if you're if you're taking it from a retirement plan and, and are over 59 and a half, you, you're going to pay ordinary income tax, and if you're under that, you're going to even have a penalty tax on yeah. there. So. You know, I mean, the, 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 the most tax-efficient way, I would say, I mean, if you can avoid tax altogether, which you can by taking a, a charitable distribution and, and giving it to a, an organization that is classified as a 501c3, then that would be – and you know what? How frankly, they look, don't tax you for giving to charity. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. <laughs> but honestly, you know, you'd be surprised how many uh, clients we see that because of pensions and Social Security benefits, maybe, you know, rental income or whatever other sources they have – they don't need their entire required minimum distribution from right. year to year. So in order to uh, satisfy the distribution yet not increase their, their tax liability, right. they do decide, hey, you know, we are involved with the church or whatever other uh, charitable organization they might be involved with and decide this is a good opportunity to give and do some good. Uh, with money that would otherwise just maybe put me into another bracket or uh, just cause other issues tax-wise. So uh, something to think about there because there's been quite a few people that were not aware Absolutely, uh, that's possible. Well, guys, I think uh, if, if you look to the week ahead, market-related, things to watch, there's really not a whole lot of big news as this was the week for that. we got some housing-related news, uh, some consumer sentiment data. Um, but all in all, uh, we'll look for you know some kind of big headline to come out. Who knows what happens these days, right? That's right. You get more news out of Europe. Um, all in all, I think next week's going to be an up week. What do you guys think? I agree. Up, just like the raccoons. All right, guys. It's been Climbing a great up. show. Thanks for listening. All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.